Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Saddleback Valley Shares. I'm Mark Perez, the Director of Communications and Administrative Services for SVUSD. You may have heard our podcast. We began these podcasts a little over a year ago, and we're really doing a good job with those. We had about five or six episodes in, and then the pandemic hit, and just like everybody else being affected, uh, many things here were affected as well, including, unfortunately, our podcast, but we are excited to come back. Thank you to everyone that has stuck around waiting to hear our next podcast. We know it's been a while. But we are really excited to get back on the air to share what's going on within our district through this format. It's been a great way to just get in depth about a whole bunch of topic, topics with different people from the district office. And we're going to continue that. That's the whole point of the podcast. We want to just give you more information on specific topics that we know you're interested in. And so today, actually, we're going to start off with a very important topic that a lot of people are super passionate about, and that's athletics. So. As you know, we haven't really had athletics in our secondary site since the pandemic began, at least as far as competition goes, and everyone has been waiting patiently, and it looks like athletics are coming back sooner than later. So with me today, I have Mr. James Newton, and I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself and what he does here, and then we'll get right into some of our uh, topics of conversation. So James, welcome. Thank you for having me. My name is James Newton, Director of Secondary Education here for Saddleback Valley Unified School District, and it's my pleasure to be here to answer questions and interact with you today. Well, thank you for being here. We know how busy you are. So James oversees 7th through 12th grade instruction and everything that falls under that category, and uh, obviously athletics goes under that as well. So we're going to get right into it, uh, Mr. Newton. So can you please give us just a general overview of what athletics has been like since the beginning of this school year? So I'm talking about 2020, 2021. What have our student athletes been able to do and under what conditions? So we're talking all the way back to like July, right? Because that's when a lot of our athletes begin conditioning, doing all that kind of stuff. So what has it been like for them up until this point? We'll say up until about two weeks ago. So, you know, from the very, very beginning of the school year, there were a lot of unknowns. And what we've got, what we've had the privilege of doing in our school district is working together with all of our stakeholders to determine how to safely uh, reopen our schools. We've been very fortunate in Saddleback Valley that we've been in a hybrid model, uh, teaching and learning since the end of September. And, and with that came some additional opportunities for our students. Uh, shortly before we started school, in, in late September, in person, we actually had the privilege of having our student athletes return to athletic conditioning after school. So they were working with their coaches as part of their, their school program to, you know, work through conditioning practices, develop their skills um, in a safe and healthy environment, working through the, the approved upon protocols. And just so our listeners know, when we say that our student athletes were back, we knew we had some hybrid model uh, students participating in the hybrid model. Some of them are participating in full distance model. Were the conditioning uh, practices or the conditioning exercises, were those open to all students or did they have to be in a specific uh, learning model to participate in those? No, regardless of the learning model, students were permitted to participate in their athletic programs after school. So if they were an online student or if they were a hybrid student, they're permitted to participate with their coach. It even extended beyond athletics into our co-curricular programs that we're offering after school activities as well. Awesome. And I mean, we all know someone might be asking, well, why did we already go back to, you know, why was athletics on the table? And do you just want to talk a little bit? I know you have a background in athletics as well. You uh, were an administrator of athletics at one of our comprehensive high schools before. Can you just speak real quickly? And I know a lot of our uh, parents of student athletes have a lot of experience with this, but can you just speak a little bit about the uh, why is athletics so big for our secondary students? Why is that such a big part of uh, high school uh, culture, athletics? 
I, I think what I would say to that that question is that you know for our students, one of the most important components of being a high school student is being connected. Right. And so whether or not it's athletics or it's co-curricular programs or it's clubs and it's activities on campus, that's really what makes that experience. They love being in the classroom with their teachers learning. However, they get to further engage with their classmates and their colleagues, both after school, before school, during school and all the, the additional programs. More than anything, I think what we've been missing the most during the pandemic is our ability to connect with other people. So finding a way to do so safely and positively for our students. Uh, was essential. You know, we really are missing that in the classroom and we need to be mindful of everyone's safety and well-being. Um, but being able to provide this opportunity after school is, has been invaluable. Not to mention the benefits of physical activity that go along with it, right? Of course, of course. So you spoke about how, what they were able to do, that conditioning was an option to our student athletes, regardless of their program. Uh, what was that? So what was conditioning? They weren't, were they able to have physical interaction at that point? What did that look like? Let's say July through October. So early on in the, in the process, it really was all about, you know, kind of the daily screening and symptoms check, which, which are still in place to this day. You know, that is still part of our, our regular procedures and protocols. However, you know, our athletic conditioning really started with doing some, you know, calisthenics, some physical activity, some basic drills that were, that were related to the sports, but maybe weren't necessarily sport-specific activities interaction. There was very limited contact between students, and we limited our uh, pod size or group size uh, for our student-athletes to limit the, the overall interaction. So there was definitely health and safety protocols in place even during the conditioning phase. From the very get-go. Just want to make sure that everybody understands that it wasn't just, oh, athletics, conditioning is allowed, let's go out there and have fun, let's do what we normally did. I mean, there was a lot of thought that went into that, right? Before right, and, and, and all of our, all of our you know, protocols and procedures that we developed within Saddleback Valley you know, were direct, came directly from the CDC as well as the California Department of Public Health. So um, we, we wanted to make sure we were mindful of that first and foremost prior to creating any practice plans each day. Okay. So we know what it started off as and kind of stayed that way throughout first semester. So for us if uh, that are not on the semester system, if you're used to the trimester system, uh, semester ended right before winter break. So right before we left for break in December, we came back and now there's been a lot of buzz the last week or two about, oh, athletics opens up. I know a lot of our listeners are hearing what competitions are starting again, athletics opens up. What does that mean? But before we start with what does that mean? What happened? What was the change? Where did the change came come from? Why all of a sudden now are we hearing athletics is starting back up? Well, we know it's not really starting back up. It's been going since July. But I think when people think athletics starting back up, they think about the competitions, the games. Why is that happening now? What happened? What was the impetus for that? So uh, to put it all in context, since the, the beginning of our in-person learning here in Saddleback Valley, you know, late September, we've had a variety of programs offering practice of some sort after school, both athletic and co-curricular programs. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, we've been following those very specific health and safety protocols. All programs have been following those. And what ended up happening is we went through a, a progression, an agreed upon progression with our stakeholders within the school district to, to determine how we can expand upon um, activities that we are doing in practice regularly. As we continued through that progression, we were hopeful that we we're going to get some updated guidance from the California Department of Public Health from CIF Southern Section um, to, to let us know when we ultimately would get to have some semblance of a typical season. 
Um, our fall sports season started. However, we still weren't permitted to actually have competition going into winter break. Then we had an additional surge in our community and community at large um, with the uh, coronavirus. And ultimately, it felt like we had to take a step backward. Understandably so, the infection rates um, were very high. Through some modified guidance with California Department of Public Health and then followed up by CIF, Coming out of winter break and into the second semester, we started to see some of those restrictions being lifted. And it ultimately started with the first, which was the new guidance with regards to the tiers, allowing you know our sports in the purple tiers to actually be able to come back and ultimately prepare for competition. So those sports were you know our swimming, golf, tennis, track and field, cross country, um, and and so the only sport that was a fall sport that was still in season, quote unquote, at that time was cross country. So we made it a priority within our school district and coordinating with our neighboring school districts to allow cross country to return to their competition during their season of sport. Now, as we wrap up the the fall season, you know, we are preparing for the spring season, which is those sports, the swimming, the track and field, the golf, the tennis, to be able to come back and, and prepare for competition. That's evolved, right? Because as of last week, we got even additional guidance um, allowing sports that are in a more restrictive tier, in a red tier, an orange tier, or a yellow tier, um, to be able to come back to competition prior to uh, advancement into a less restrictive tier. Okay, so we're saying that sports that were previously only allowed in less restrictive tiers, so anything outside of purple, so we'll say red, orange, going all the way to yellow, are now allowed to participate while we're still in the purple tier given modifications. And that's all based off of guidance from the, and we're going to give some acronyms here from the California Department of Public Health. Is that accurate? So the, so my question was what happened? The answer is the California, uh, California Department of Public Health released uh, new updated guidance just in the last week, week and a half that allows us now to open up athletics more than it had been. Is that accurate? A a couple of weeks ago, they, they did the initial guidance or three weeks ago ish. They uh, give us the, their initial guidance allowing the outdoor sports in more restrictive tiers to get to come back. Then this past Friday, they gave us um, again revised guidance allowing us to have those indoor sports even be able to come back with additional restrictions. Okay, so what it came down to for our listeners, just to kind of put it in a nutshell, is the California Department of Public Health and the governor's office came up with our blueprint for a safer economy that you may all most people don't know, or a lot of people aren't aware of that term, blueprint for a safer economy. But what that, for most people, what they align that to are the color, is the color tier system. So purple tier, different counties, different regions are in tiers now based on color, which I think all of our listeners are uh, familiar with. So the, those two uh, entities came out with this updated guidance, which is the guidance that our school sites and our districts and districts across the, the state have been following. So now they have additional guidance and uh, guidelines that allow for the opening up of sports. So that's how we got to this point. For our listeners that aren't, maybe don't have students in uh, sports or it's been a while, just an acronym we keep saying is CIF. Can you, that's an important acronym because they come into play a lot here. Can you just quickly talk about what is, what does CIF stand for and who are they? What do they do? So CIF is a California Interscholastic Federation and their focus is to really, they're the governing body for uh, competitive high school athletic sports. We're in the southern section here in Orange County, and there's multiple sections throughout the state, and there is also a state entity uh, for CIF. 
Awesome. And then one more thing before we move on to the next question, and that's you spoke about seasons. So I know that was a little confusing because we're normally used to fall season starts about August, September, ends right around right before the end of the year. Then we go into winter season. Then that's a shorter season leading into spring season. That's typically what everybody's used to with high school athletics. This year, because of the pandemic, CIF switched that model. They still had fall and spring season, but not during the traditional times. Can you just quickly touch on that for maybe 15 seconds, what the seasons look like? Right. Look so like this so this year, the, the seasons were different, just like you alluded to. And really what it came down to was they were trying to anticipate our infection rates. So they were hoping the infection rates would go down. So they pushed all of the sports back. So fall season started in December and was slated to go through March. And then spring season, you know, March through basically the end of the school year. They they reorganized the sports. So in the fall season was going to be cross country, water polo, football, and girls volleyball. As I said previously, cross country being the only sport with the new guidance that was permitted to compete as an outdoor sport prior to this last week. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. Okay. So now that we know where we were at, we know that there's new guidance that has been released that's going to allow us to do more, including competing competitions. How does this look in real life? So we know what the guidance is. What is that going to look like for our student athletes, for our spectators? What are we going to see? What can we expect to happen? What can the student athletes expect to have happen? And what are our spectators? What can they expect, our parents, our families? Really, firstly, what we need to be doing um, as coaches and um, athletic administrators is ensuring the safety of our students. So again, we still are doing that that daily symptoms check and um, daily sports screening prior to, to every practice and every contest. However, what we also realize is going now into practice speed, we have to get to a point where we actually have evolved our practices to actually allow for some contact and allow for, you know, that that's program-specific or sports-specific activities. So what is what has evolved out of that is our pods are now a little bit larger. They're, they're teams. Those just, are pods are just groups of student-athletes working together. Correct. The small groups within the group. So um, now in practices, we've allowed, you know, levels of a team like varsity or JV or, or Frosh to be able to work together so that they can get up to game speed so that going into a competition, they're not putting themselves at risk by not having gone at that speed. Additionally, our um, athletic administrators at the, at the school sites and athletic directors have been working to create revised and modified schedules to allow for competitions. So, you know, depending on the sport, some sports have to go through, you know, a routine of testing each week to, to show, you know, asymptomatic testing that they're negative tests. Other sports are going to have to do it more frequently. Those are the indoor sports. And, and so now we're preparing schedules to work around a testing requirement as well. Additionally, we have to take into account, you know, the need for physical distancing, you know, with regards to the requirements with CDPH, you know, we're not permitted to have spectators except for the express, you know, purpose of supervision of student, student athletes. We understand that, that student, you know, parents of student athletes are going to be coming, you know, to games, to matches, to competitions, and because they're providing the transportation. And so it, it naturally lends itself to having spectators. You know, we do want to limit two spectators per student athlete at this time in order to ensure physical distancing and and to ensure the safety of, of all those that are participating. So right now, you know, very different than what it typically would be. We have really limited capacity. We have really limited spectators. We're doing everything we can to, you know, further develop and expand upon our ability to stream events so that people will have access to them. 
Because it's really a twofold planning scenario, if you will. It's not only planning for the student athletes and their safety and the competition itself. There's a whole other piece then dealing with spectators, their safety, and how all that's going to work out logistically, correct? So it's really two different kind of ball games you're dealing with, no pun intended. Yes, and, and the onus is on us to facilitate that in a safe manner. Okay, awesome. So with that being said, our parents, our community members, our stakeholders, you know, anyone that's listening to this podcast can know that there's game schedules coming out for the different sports. I know I just saw a football schedule for one of our high schools. We have water polo that's starting. That start, what sports are starting right now? What can our neighbors, if they you know, live in the area of our school sites, they see cars, they want to know what's going on, why is there gathering? What is allowed to what sports are allowed to be competing right now? Because that then obviously means that you're going to see cars in the parking lot. You're going to see visitors. You're going to see more activity than you've seen probably all year in these athletic complexes. So right now, the, the fall sport season, according to CIF, is still continuing. And so there's going to be a, a limited time frame for water polo, both boys and girls, a limited time frame for girls volleyball, and then also for football. Football has an extended time frame based on CIF, but all of those fall sports are going to be in, and they're going to have several competitions in the next upcoming couple of weeks. Then we, as we transition into the spring sports season, that's where you're going to see all of the rest of our sports in some capacity competing. That's baseball, softball, track and field, swimming and diving, um, soccer. I mean, you can go down the list. It will be virtually every sport. And then ultimately also our indoor sports of boys volleyball, boys and girls basketball, as well as, you know, co-ed wrestling. Okay. So a lot of activity is going to start happening on our campuses athletics wise. So just for our listeners, be just so that you know, we are, we are following guidelines. This is allowed. We're, we know, uh, Mr. Newton, that our athletic staff, our student athletes, our student athletes' parents are receiving lots of information, protocols as far as safety and health guidelines. So we know you have all that dialed in here internally to make sure we're following all those what can and so that's being taken care of and that's being communicated to our families that have student athletes for everyone else that's going to be coming to a game that's going to be dropping off their student dropping someone off can you share what is the expectation of our spectators it's not just going to be like it's been before where anybody that walks through the door can come watch and sit down and do it you know we have to as uh, mr newton said we have to follow guidelines it's uh, all dependent on stadium capacity on venue capacity What's your what's your ask, I guess, of spectators? What can they expect? And then what's the expectation of them once they are coming into our athletic complexes? I think the first and most important one is that there's a, you know, a daily symptoms check, you know, self check where, you know, if you're not feeling well, if you're concerned, if, if you're uncertain as to whether or not you might have contracted COVID or been a close contact of someone who had, that you are staying home and that you're not subjecting any of our SVSD stakeholders, whether they're student athletes, other parents, coaches, um, to potential infection. That's the first and probably most important. The second is, is that we try to limit um, visitations to the school sites to understand that because there is all of this activity going on, there's going to be an interest to actually come and be a part of it. But we are trying to limit, we are limiting the number of spectators to families of the student-athletes, the immediate household of the student-athletes. And, and that's hard for me as, as an administrator because I want nothing more than to be able to have 
our other students at the school site participating and celebrating all these activities. But really, it should be a limited. It should be limited to two members of the immediate household of each of the student athletes. So, if you're planning on to attending, making sure you're coordinating with your student athlete and their coaching staff to understand what the protocols are, because there will be, depending on the school site, there'll be very specific asks regarding where to enter, where to exit, what time to show up, to not be on campus early, to not be staying late. How to get your tickets, how to sign up, right, all that. So that was you actually just answered my next question, and I was going to tell our listeners if you're listening to this and saying, okay, I want to go, let's. How do I do this? The best bet is, number one, speak to your student athlete because they're probably going to know what the protocol is. But even within a school site, the protocols may be different if you're going to the swimming deck versus a football stadium. It's just going to be different depending on the sport, depending on what logistical challenges there are and how the administration is going to deal with that. So best bet, speak to your student athlete. If you still have some questions, reach out. Would you say to the student's coach? Is that... I think it's most appropriate to reach out to the student's coach because the student's coach is coordinating with the athletic directors and athletic AP is at the site. And and really just, you know, extend some grace to other people. And we got to understand that some of the venues are much smaller than others. Some, you know, allow for more space. So physical distancing is easier to accomplish. Um, that's not everywhere. And, and while you might be very familiar with your son or daughter's school site and the venue, it's it's different from school to school. So just, just being patient and being aware that we're all trying to do our best in maintaining physical distancing, wearing masks, practicing good hygiene. And again, I can't emphasize enough that that daily symptoms check before coming to an athletic contest. Okay. And once they figure out how to get here, they're on the list, they've made it, they have their tickets, whatever it is. What's the ask once our spectators arrive? What is the expectation once they get that? Can you talk about masks and just seating and all that? Yeah, I, I would I would tell you that probably the most important, you know, again, aside from the pre-screening, is just making sure that you're wearing your mask at all time, you're maintaining physical distancing. That's out, and we're talking about outdoor sports. We're, yes. Right, we're clear that we the expectation is that they're still wearing masks as spectators outside. Both outdoors and for indoor sports, the expectation is that as spectators, we are wearing our masks at all time. We're maintaining physical distancing at all time and you know and that and that's going to be hard to resist right the, again the one thing that we've been missing more than anything during the pandemic is our opportunity to interact with other people we go to these athletic contests absolutely to see the student athletes but to interact as families so that's going to be hard but um, i'm pretty confident with all of our families in our in our school district that they're going to be able to follow those those guidelines it's wearing your mask it's maintaining the physical distancing, and it's and it's following the protocols that are set forth by the venue. Again, the entering and exiting, you know, the one way in, one way out kind of pathways that will be communicated when you arrive to the event. And ultimately, I guess, above all that is just if things need to shift or whatever, just please, you know, administrators are there. They're going to be leading this. They're going to be responsible for ensuring everything, all the protocols are being followed. So I guess ultimately, please just cooperate, listen to the administrators. They have our student safety and your safety's best interest in mind. And really, whatever protocols are in place are to meet those goals, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is an incredible privilege, I think, for our student athletes and for all of us to get to participate in, given that we've, you know, been cooped up for for almost, I mean, just over a year now. And so, you know, to be able to do this, is, it's special. And so we, we don't want to take that for granted. Okay, great. So before we wrap it up, is there anything else you'd want our listeners to know related to what we were discussing today? I'll let you have a minute or so or whatever. I know you're not a man of few words, so I'm going <laughs> to cut you off to about a minute. Uh, what Anything you want our listeners or student athletes or any of our stakeholders listening right now to know about this whole topic? 
You know, I, I think probably one of the more important things is that, you know, extracurricular and co-curricular activities are something that, yes, we as student athletes, that we as staff members really look forward to. We wouldn't be in this position if it weren't for the hard work of all of our teaching staff and support staff at the schools that have been able to maintain, you know, the protocols and ensure the safety and well-being of our students at all times. You know, that's how we've kind of progressed through the pandemic um, with the support and with following the, the guidelines, the health and safety guidelines. Secondly, I'd want to say that um, we're eager that, that this uh, reopening of athletics, for lack of better terms, is going to help us really kind of expand our opportunities for our other programs, you know, for our performances, for, for dance, for, for drama and musical productions, for instrumental music productions. And, you know, every one of those expansions helps kids re-engage. And again, that's been probably the hardest part. And so we're excited for that. We want to do so safely. So it really is important that we all follow these guidelines, but you know, we're, we're feeling very encouraged on the way that we're going to be able to end the, the 2021 school year on, on a high note. Nice. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said helping students engage. Uh, that's what we're here for, right? We're here for students. Number one, that's our goal. That's why we exist. That's the service that we offer is servicing our students. And this is one way to help them get a little more back to normal, whatever that means at this point and get them more engaged and have a connection. Anything we can do as long as it's safely, I think we're on the right path. So I want to say thank you to Mr. Newton. I know you're an extremely busy uh, man. So thank you for your time uh, coming down to talk to us about athletics today. I know we did not answer every single question about athletics. We tried to get a, give you a holistic overview of what's going on. If you have any specific questions related to your student athletes, athletic programs or athletic competitions, please speak to your uh, student athlete first. And then again, reach out to your coaching staff. They're going to have the most detail regarding your specific program and your specific school site. We hope you enjoyed our uh, newest episode of Saddleback Valley Shares. Again, thank you for your patience waiting for one to come back. We think this is a good one to share what's going on. A little side note, we know that guidance is constantly changing coming down from the California Department of Public Health. So while we've recorded this podcast today, it may have some information that's changed by the time you listen to it or a week down the road. So just always be in constant communication with your school site so that you can have the latest updates and information. We appreciate your time and look forward to hearing you on the next Saddleback Valley Shares. Thank you.